Welcome to the Publisher's Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In the next 30 minutes or so, I'll bring you up to date on selections from important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our September 2012 issue. Note that you will hear a transition tone between the summaries. Let's get started. The antibiotic D-cycloserin, a partial agonist of N-methyl-D-aspartate receptor, appears to enhance or accelerate the effects of exposure therapy for patients with anxiety disorders. Previous research has shown that subjects receiving D-cycloserin show acute increases in frontal brain activity. In this study, patients with a specific phobia of snakes were given a single session of graded in vivo exposure combined with either a single dose of D-cycloserin 50 milligrams or a single placebo capsule. Before the treatment and one week after the treatment, patients viewed photographs of snakes while undergoing functional magnetic resonance imaging. Patients in both groups achieved similar responses to the treatment, although the patients receiving D-cycloserin completed the session more quickly. One week after treatment, the patients who had received exposure plus D-cycloserin had a different pattern of brain responses to snake photographs compared to the patients who had received exposure plus placebo. Specifically, D-cycloserin was associated with increased activity in a range of frontal and prefrontal brain regions. These results suggest that D-cycloserin may augment exposure therapy by increasing activity in brain regions associated with reappraisal and enhanced cognitive processing. The occurrence of pimazide-induced arrhythmias is concentration-dependent. Hence, it is important for prescribers to consider causes of increased pimazide exposure. In this article, Rogers and colleagues summarize the FDA's review of drug interaction and pharmacogenomic studies. They discuss pharmacokinetic simulations they performed to develop new dosing recommendations for pimazide guided by cytochrome P450 2D6 or CYP 2D6 genotype. Pharmacokinetic parameters by CYP2D6 genotype were derived from a published single-dose pharmacogenomic study of pimazide. The authors simulated the pimazide exposures that would result from a multiple-dose scenario in different CYP2D6 genotype groups, extensive, intermediate, and poor metabolizers. They wanted to determine what the not-to-exceed dose of pimazide should be in adults and children who are CYP2D6 poor metabolizers. The FDA's analysis resulted in a revision of the label for pimazide. The label now recommends that CYP2D6 genotyping should be performed if patients require doses above 4 milligrams a day for adults or above 0.05 milligrams per kilogram per day for children. 
Also, because patients who are CYP2D6 poor metabolizers experience a longer time to steady state, their dose increases should not occur earlier than 14 days after the last increase. The new information in the revision is intended to enhance therapeutic individualization of pimazide in pediatric and adult patients. In a companion piece to this article by Rogers and colleagues, Dr. Sheldon Presscorn comments on the advancements in our knowledge of biological variants among patients and how that variance determines differential treatment outcomes. One of the proposed revisions for DSM-5 is to rate panic attacks as a separate dimension across all mental disorders. The idea is that panic attacks occurring outside the realm of panic disorder can predict important clinical outcomes. In our continuing medical education offering for September, a group from Denmark reports their findings on this topic. The researchers used data from the Netherlands Mental Health and Incident Study, a large epidemiologic study. Using the composite International Diagnostic Interview, they compared people with no panic history, a history with panic attacks but no panic disorder, current panic attacks, or current panic disorder. During a three-year follow-up, Panic attacks and the absence of panic disorder were significantly associated with increased prevalence, onset, and persistence of mental disorders and with impaired functioning. The associations were also present, to a lesser extent, for a history of panic attacks. The associations were not explained by sociodemographics, somatic disorders, or baseline mental disorders. Given these results, the proposal to dimensionally rate panic attacks across all mental disorders may be of great value for clinical care. To receive CME credit, read the full article at psychiatrist.com and take the post-test. In older men, leptin may represent a mechanism relating obesity with depression onset. Increasing evidence has suggested a causal link between fat, particularly abdominal obesity and depression, but the underlying mechanisms have not been well known. To learn more about this, the authors of this article use data from the Health Aging and Body Composition Study, a U.S. cohort of persons aged 70 to 79 years, to test whether serum leptin may represent a mechanism relating abdominal fat with increased risk of developing depressive symptoms. The Health Aging and Body Composition Study is supported by the National Institute on Aging and the National Institutes of Health. In 1,200 men and 1,200 women, leptin and abdominal visceral fat were assessed at baseline. Patients who were not depressed at baseline were followed for five years, during which time they were assessed for onset of depression. The study results showed that in men, but not in women, high leptin level was associated with an increased risk of depression onset during follow-up, especially in the presence of abdominal obesity. 
Underlying leptin resistance, therefore, may play a role in this link. The authors conclude that these findings suggest a potential biological link between depression and obesity and their joint association with negative health outcomes. It is well known that cognitive performance is a strong predictor of everyday functioning in schizophrenia. Pharmacologic approaches to improve neurocognition have not proven very successful. However, behavioral approaches such as cognitive remediation or training have shown small to moderate effects on neurocognition and psychosocial functioning. Most commercially available interventions use computerized drill-in-practice exercises, but the authors of this article opted to test the efficacy of a manualized compensatory cognitive training intervention that emphasizes teaching compensatory strategies, planning for their implementation in daily life, and making these strategies habitual. The study received funding from the National Institutes of Health and NARSAD. The study participants were outpatients with primary psychotic disorders. They were randomized to receive compensatory cognitive training once a week for 12 weeks or to receive standard pharmacotherapy alone. Assessments of neurocognition, functional capacity, psychiatric symptom severity, and quality of life were administered at baseline, post-treatment, and three-month follow-up. Compared to individuals receiving pharmacotherapy alone, participants who received compensatory cognitive training showed significant improvements in attention, verbal memory, functional capacity, negative symptom severity, and self-rated quality of life. Effect sizes range from small to large. The authors conclude that compensatory cognitive training is a brief, low-tech, low-cost intervention with the potential to improve not only cognitive performance but also functional skills, negative symptoms, and self-rated quality of life for individuals with psychosis. They call for further research to clarify the mechanisms underlying the results and to gauge the long-term efficacy of the intervention. Finasteride, a commonly prescribed medication for male patterned hair loss, has recently been associated with persistent sexual side effects. A study from George Washington University assessed depressive symptoms and suicidal thoughts in former finasteride users who were still experiencing sexual side effects despite having stopped the medication at least three months before. 61 men were administered standardized interviews that established they were otherwise healthy and had no psychiatric conditions or pre-existing sexual dysfunction before using finasteride. The subjects were compared with a control group who had male pattern hair loss but had never used the drug. Both groups self-administered the Beck Depression Inventory too. The results showed remarkably high rates of depressive symptoms and suicidal thoughts in those who had used finasteride. 64% of finasteride users had moderate to severe depressive symptoms, and 44% had suicidal thoughts. 
the control group had much lower rates of depressive symptoms and suicidal thoughts. Although the exact mechanism explaining these findings is currently being investigated, finasteride is known to reduce levels of several neuroactive steroids linked to sexual function and depression. Clinicians and potential users of finasteride should be aware of the risk of depressive symptoms and suicidal thoughts. Depressed patients taking antidepressant medication do not usually experience relief until several weeks have passed. Almost one-third of patients will not become well even after several medication trials. Therefore, it is sensible to look at supplemental methods to treat depression. Sleep deprivation therapy, or wake therapy, is an older therapy that is now receiving renewed interest. It works within one night with only mild side effects. To prevent relapse after wake therapy nights, new treatment designs incorporate light therapy and stabilization of the sleep-wake cycle. The authors conducted a study comparing the antidepressant effect of daily exercise as an active comparator versus treatment combining wake therapy with daily light therapy and sleep stabilization. All participants were treated with duloxetine. The study lasted nine weeks and included 75 patients, many of whom had long-standing depression that had not been responsive to antidepressants. Patients in the wake therapy group had immediate relief from depression and did better than those in the exercise group. This difference was sustained for the entire study period. At the end of the study, almost 46% of wake therapy patients were no longer clinically depressed. In the exercise group, relief from depression was obtained for about 23% of patients. The treatments were well tolerated. The authors thus conclude that wake therapy, light treatment, and sleep stabilization combined with duloxetine can be used to achieve faster relief from depression and to help patients who do not respond to medication alone. In addition, the exercise treatment was highly applicable and had no side effects, and in combination with duloxetine, the exercise treatment did produce a major clinically relevant antidepressant response. Fish oil supplementation, mainly omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs, for the prevention or treatment of cognitive impairment in the elderly is gaining more and more attention. However, there is some question thus far of the strength of evidence to support omega-3 supplementation for cognition among the elderly. Although some studies have shown that greater consumption of foods containing omega-3 PUFAs is associated with better cognitive performance in the elderly, supplementation studies have yet to show definite benefits among patients with dementia. The abnormal fatty acid composition of plasma, or erythrocytes, in patients with dementia and pre-dementia syndrome has been reported extensively, but with inconsistent results. 
Therefore, the investigators in the current study performed a meta-analysis to examine whether individual PUFA levels had changed in patients with dementia or pre-dementia syndrome as compared to elderly controls. A systematic search for relevant studies published in peer-reviewed journals yielded 10 studies with 2,280 subjects. They found that EPA, DHA, and total omega-3 PUFA levels had decreased in patients with dementia. However, in individuals with pre-dementia syndrome, only EPA levels but not DHA or other PUFA levels were significantly lower. The results of this study support the important role of omega-3 PUFAs in the pathophysiology of dementia. In addition, the analyses of pre-dementia syndrome indicate that EPA may be not only a disease state marker, but also a risk factor for cognitive impairment. Agitation can cause major problems for dementia patients and their caregivers. Cone Mansfield and colleagues conducted a randomized placebo-controlled trial to determine the efficacy of individualized non-pharmacologic interventions in decreasing agitation in dementia patients. These interventions were designed to address unmet needs of the patients. In this study, agitated nursing home residents with advanced dementia were randomized to an intervention group or a placebo control group. Agitation was assessed with the Agitation Behavior Mapping Instrument. For each patient in the intervention group, an unmet need such as depression or boredom was hypothesized on the basis of data from baseline assessments and a corresponding treatment category was identified. An intervention for loneliness or depression might include one-on-one -on -one interaction with a research assistant, a lifelike baby doll, or a robotic animal. Interventions for boredom might include arts and crafts or going outdoors. The interventions were implemented for two weeks, and observations of agitation and affect were recorded. Compared with the control group, in the intervention group, the interventions for unmet needs produced statistically significant declines in agitation and significant increases in pleasure and interest. The researchers note that translation of these findings into practice would require changes involving dedication of staff time to observing each agitated resident, determining unmet needs, obtaining appropriate intervention materials, conducting the individualized non-pharmacologic interventions, and evaluating results. This study was supported by the National Institutes of Health. Cognitive impairment in schizophrenia is an important target for intervention, yet current antipsychotics have not been effective in this area. The drug BL-1020 is a GABA-enhanced antipsychotic that combines dopamine antagonism with GABA agonist activity. 
The authors of this study hypothesized on the basis of animal models that BL-1020 would be effective in ameliorating psychotic symptoms and cognitive impairments and that it would have a favorable safety profile. The study was sponsored by BioLine RX and included 363 adult patients with chronic schizophrenia in India, the United States, and Romania. Patients were randomized in double-blind fashion to six weeks of treatment in one of four groups. BL-1020 at either 10 mg daily or 20 to 30 mg daily placebo or risperidone 2 to 8 milligrams daily. The results showed that patients given BL-1020 in the 20 to 30 milligram dose had significantly greater improvements in cognitive functioning than patients who took placebo, risperidone, or the smaller dose of BL-1020. BL-1020 was also significantly better than placebo for treating psychotic symptoms with no significant differences between the higher dose and risperidone. There were no significant differences in extrapyramidal symptoms between the two, and both were significantly worse in this regard than placebo. The authors conclude that BL-1020 appears to be an effective antipsychotic with possible pro-cognitive effects. A new study is being conducted in which cognition is being assessed in stabilized patients with minimal psychotic symptoms. Don't miss the Practical Psychopharmacology column for September in which Dr. Andrade discusses the use of antidepressants in patients who are undergoing treatment for breast cancer. Certain antidepressants that inhibit CYP2D6 can seriously jeopardize the effectiveness of tamoxifen, a commonly used drug in breast cancer patients. Dr. Andrade points to several antidepressants that do not have this effect and can be used as alternatives. This month, we highlight two case reports, one on Labor's hereditary optic neuropathy associated with schizophrenia, and the other on post-ictal psychosis treated successfully with olanzapine. Our ASCP corner discusses the discordance between researchers and patients in defining remission from depression. Finally, be sure to take a look at our letters and book reviews and participate in the interactive activities from our CME Institute. Join us online for all this and more from the September issue of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month for the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites.